I have an exciting and very timely guest today, Mary Williamson. Um, she's declared she's running for president again, wants to challenge Joe Biden. If you're looking at today's polls, uh, couldn't be couldn't have been a better time for somebody who wants to do that. Uh, just came out today that Trump would beat him in a head-to-head 45 to 39, which is kind of frightening. Mary Williamson has written 13 books. Um, I, I'm not even going to introduce it. She's been described so many different ways as far as what you do outside of being an author or being a political candidate that I want to hear you describe it because it's, I've read everything from a trendy amalgam of Christianity, Buddhism, pop psychology, and 12-step recovery wisdom to a spirit guru, to a self-help guru, to to a, a, and everything. So tell me your brand because that's what this show is all about. Beyond candidate, beyond author, what is it? Well, it's interesting because you just talked about a trendy blend of, and then the blend that you mentioned is pretty accurate, except I would take exception to the word trendy. Okay. It's a cultural movement. Okay. It's a cultural movement. It's something going on not only in this country, but on this planet, whereby people are seeking for, whether through psychotherapy, through spirituality, through yoga, through, through traditional religion, some deeper understanding and deeper sense of purpose and meaning. I think a lot of the people who are making fun of that probably go to yoga classes, go to therapy, um, are doing what they can do in their own lives to find a deeper sense of meaning and purpose, particularly at this time when clearly something is falling apart at the seams. Everybody knows that. And so maybe we should take a little more seriously, uh, as we do in our own personal lives, I think we do, but maybe we should take more seriously in our public conversations as well the efforts that people are making to find something deeper in our hearts, which might free us from this insanity that is raging all around us. How does that, I, I, you, you talked about when you, you were, I want to talk to you about being on the stage in the debates in 2020 and that kind of somebody asked, they asked you about Trump and you said, what kind of love is the answer? And uh, I mean, it was, it was a deeper answer than that. So what I said at the debate was that this man has harnessed some of the worst aspects of the human character racism, homophobia, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, some of the worst aspects of human character. And he has harnessed them for political purposes. Hate has been harnessed for political purposes. This is obvious. When you have men walking through the streets of Charlottesville, Jews shall not replace us. How much, how much historical knowledge do we have to have to know this is serious stuff when hate is harnessed? Now, on the other hand, Lincoln spoke of the better angels of our nature. What are the better angels of our nature? Justice, love, compassion, mercy, our tolerance of one another, our acceptance of one another. And at our best, these things are harnessed for political purposes. That was the abolitionist movement. That was the women's suffragist movement. That was the labor movement. That was the civil rights movement. And I refer to that. I refer to the fact that we need to harness uh, the aspects of character, which is the best of who we are, which is the strongest, and I think ultimately the only way we will override the politicalization of the worst of who we are. Explain to Mary, you've studied human behavior for so long. Explain to me how those hate, the, the racism, the hate, the, the, all the things you touched on, which are so troubling, that almost half the country says, yes, signs up for. What, how did we get here? Well, you know, when I was younger, there, it's not like any intelligent observer would say that we were ever a country without anti-Semites, without racists, without bigots, bigots. But there was a time in my lifetime where there did seem to be a social consensus that those were attitudes that were so fringe 
that no major political party would ever give them a major megaphone. We seemed to have achieved that. What happened a few years ago, and we all know this, is a simultaneous toxic combination of a malignant narcissistic character who was not above trying to harness those things for political not purposes. Not only above, that's his raison d'etre. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, his, that's right. his essence. Coupled with, coupled with social media, whereby anyone can have a platform. You put these two together, and what they did was they destroyed any levees. They destroyed any guardrails. And that's why all chaos has broken loose, because certain institutional guardrails and guarantees that we had, that things wouldn't explode ever again that much in our lifetime, um, those institutional guardrails are not holding. Mary, what do you say to people who say, look, Mary, I, we, I agree with everything you're saying in theory, and I, I, I believe in goodness, I believe in things, but I don't know how that works in a political, for a political candidate. I don't know how that works in, in, the, in the reality of the political world. That's all fine and good, and I, I would love to sit and listen to you for hours, and, I, and it warms my soul, but that doesn't necessarily work for a politician. And in the real world. Well, I agree. The words alone, uh, uh, what I would say to that person is perhaps read my books or actually listen to my talks or look at my website. I have never said that those words alone were enough to do much of anything. Those words do contain a vision, and that is important that we address the issue of vision and not just circumstance. But I have more policy, uh, more policy um, uh, ideas and plans by which to effectuate the meaning of those words and as any other candidate. Now, Franklin Roosevelt said that we would not have to worry about a fascist or a communist takeover in this country as long as democracy delivered on its promises. So what's happening here is that we have this neo-authoritarian, really neo-fascist threat. There's no doubt about it. But the problem is not just the power of that disease. The problem is that we have a weakened societal immune system. So that's what Franklin Roosevelt was referring to. He said, we wouldn't have to worry about those things as long as democracy is delivering on its blessings. Democracy in America is not delivering on the blessings that, they del that it delivers in every other advanced democracy, universal health care, free college tuition and tech school as high as you can go, free child care, paid family leave, guaranteed sick pay, and a guaranteed livable wage. In the absence of those things, we are left more vulnerable to attacks by, by authoritarians and neo-fascists. Why? Because desperate people should be seen as a national security risk. There is simply too much despair in this country. Desperate people become a petri dish out of which all manner of personal and societal dysfunction is almost inevitable. This is how Hitler was able to do what he did so easily after World War I. This is why we behaved so differently after the end of World War II. Desperate people are more vulnerable to ideological capture, uh -huh. to genuinely psychotic forces. So we have to address more than the power of the neo-authoritarians or the neo-fascists. We have to bolster the well-being, including the economic well-being of the American people, so that we are strengthened, so that we're not such easy target as uh -huh. a nation, which is what we are now. So let's talk about some of those policies. Let's do it. Give me you, you, your your president Williamson. Uh, you're in there, obviously. You're working with, uh, let's say, a, a very divided house. We're going to always be in this very kind of precipitous position. So tell me where we're going. 
Well, we don't know because, first of all, no matter who is the president, you hope to have the House on your side. Well, I'm saying you it's hope always to have the Senate. Yes, on your side. but, but okay. Yes, so okay. we we probably don't. Certainly, okay. uh, Biden did for two years. Obama did for two years. Right. Clearly, Ob- Biden also had Mansion and Senate to worry about. So obviously, that's always an issue for a president. However, the president still has a lot of power, including the bully pulpit. And also, Donnie, I think that people who hear my message. Part of what they hear is it's not going to be enough. You know, the president doesn't have a magic wand. It's not going to be enough just to present to have a president who believes in these things. It's also going to be the hard work of this election cycle, particularly the level of primaries, to make sure that this president has uh, members of the House and members of the Senate who will help effectuate these plans. And I think one of the most important things to do is to create the social consensus. Now, look, if you look at poll after poll after poll, the majority of American people want universal health care. The majority of American people want a guaranteed livable wage. The majority of American people want free tuition at state colleges and universities, which we had until the 1960s. So the truth is, Donnie, if the Democratic Party were to reclaim the traditional Rooseveltian principles of unabashed advocacy for the working people of the United States, which we had decades ago, we would not only win, we wouldn't even have to worry about it for the next 50 years. That is what I'm doing here. I'm saying, let's take the Democratic Party back to the core principles that have traditionally defined the Democratic Party. We should be standing for universal health care. We well, should don't, be don't standing they, don't they for stand, all of those Don't things. they stand for universal health care right now? No, they do not. They stand for Obamacare, which was what happened when Obama went into, um, uh, first of all, Obama had had campaigned on universal health care. Once he got there, clearly he was told by the univer- by the insurance companies, this is as far as we will let you to get, uh, let you get. We have one in four Americans who live with medical debt. This doesn't even happen in a country that has universal health care. We have 18 million Americans who cannot afford to fulfill the prescriptions that their doctors give to them. We have 68,000 Americans who die every year for lack of health care. So, and we have an $88 billion um, medical debt in total. So, no, we don't have universal health care. They have it in every other advanced democracy where they don't have people putting on the internet a GoFundMe page to pay for a, a life-saving operation. Now, the president has said that he would stand for a public option. He won't even mention that. And uh, so, no, we absolutely do not. What we have is this, this we'll do what we can as when we can, as long as it does not offend the insurance companies. We'll do what we can when we can, as long as it does not offend uh, the pharmaceutical companies or the oil companies or the defense contractors. The other countries, we have Americans rationing insulin. This is outrageous in the richest country in the world. So is this the reason Biden's approval rating is the 37%? And a lot of, if you're a Biden guy, you say, or, or woman, you know, he's had more legislative victories than anybody since LBJ. He's done a great job with NATO and Ukraine. Um, we are, the economy is good on most measures, yet he is not connected. And he's, his, his numbers are the lowest they've ever been. Why is that? So why is that, that you would even say what you said? So you're saying the economy is good uh, by most measures. So if you are among 20% of Americans, the economy is doing well. The economy is fine for you. The economy is fine for me. I'm sure that most of the people who are saying that have health care. Right. Most of the people who are saying that can afford to send their kids to college. The truth of the matter is, despite their narrative, despite the fact that they keep saying the economy is doing well by all measures. Not by all measures. Well not, tw- not by all measures. Okay. Right. But hold on. It's doing well for 20% of Americans. And those Americans, it's like we're living on an island surrounded by a vast sea of economic despair. 
That narrative is at odds with the visceral experience of the majority of American citizens. E even though we're at their lowest, the lowest unemployment we've been at in 50 years? Or is, that, is, that a, is, that a head is that a head fake? It's not a matter of being a head fake. It's a matter of not taking into account how many of those jobs do not pay livable wages and how many of those jobs are jobs that people cannot live on if it's only one job. The, the problem here, Donnie, is not that I want to fight the president. It's that the Democratic Party needs to awaken from this delusion and denial. The vast majority of Americans are not impressed by that narrative because it does not align with the, with the actual experience in their own lives. People's lives are falling apart in this country. We have among our seniors, 20, uh, half of them live uh, on less than $25,000 a year. We have uh, a third of American workers who live on less than $15 an hour and cannot afford a place to live. No, things are not going well for the majority of people. And just going into the 2024 election and saying they are is not going to win this election. Well, well, along those lines, what do you say to people? And probably are you polling some real numbers there at a new Emerson College poll? I mean, Biden's at 70 and JFK, RFK is 21. You're at 8%. You got 9% in by a Fox News poll. So you, you, you're putting some numbers up. But what do you say to people say, to your earlier point, we are staring at a fascist, potential fascist overtake of our government and you're weakening the democratic party we got to get behind biden we all got to do it and you're going to be doing their throwing punches and by the way that's our system so you have every right to do it but to the people that say that within the democratic party and we're calling you up and say marianne we, we, you, you've got a real place here but we can't have you as an outsider throwing punches okay so what i say to that is number one that's why I am doing this. If we have a neo-fascist threat, which we do, then we need to be having a very deep, not a shallow conversation about whether or not we can just will our way into a Biden win in 2024. 2024 is very different than 2020. If you look at the majority of Americans, 70% of Americans don't want him to run again, Donnie. Yeah. So the idea that we've all got to just say he's going to win. No, that doesn't match the political reality. That's number one. Number two, notice that Trump did not have any political experience before he ran, when he ran for president. Clearly, the American people are not that impressed by the idea of a political elite that has all the answers because that political elite has, has brought us six inches from the cliff in terms of the state of our economy, state of our environment, state of our, of our um, democracy, and so forth. It's because we have a neo-fascist threat that you ought to let someone like me in there let me in there because I have a lot more to say to Donald Trump than I think Biden can, including that I can say to the American people, we need an economic U-turn in this country. We need an economic U-turn. What Biden stands for is the alleviation of stress. He does want to help people. This is what the establishment elite Democrats stand for. They do see people's pain to some extent. I don't think they're emotionally really taking in the ravages of human suffering that exist outside their gates. I have to say that. However, they want to do what they can to help once again, as long as it doesn't challenge the underlying corporate forces that make the return of that pain inevitable. If you're going to go up against uh, 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 Donald Trump, it's not going to be enough to tell people, really, things are going pretty well, for whom it is not going well at all. It is because of that neo-fascist threat that if ever there was a time when it is important to let Democrats hear let them hear from Bobby Kennedy. Let them hear from me. Let them hear from Biden. And all of us should have a say. This is who I am. This is how I'll come after them. This is the agenda I will give to the American people. And this is how I'll repair the country. 
if the voters in the Democratic primaries hear all that, if it's a fair election, if the mainstream media who serves the DNC does not keep suppressing the candidates that they don't want. Oh, and well, then, I, I'm, 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 I'm listening to Fox News Not here, you, right? you're here. You're here, that's right. But hold on a second. If, if at that time, at that point, after those debates, the, the Democratic primary voter says, you know what? I think our best bet is Joe Biden. Then God bless him. And it should be Joe Biden. Yeah. But this is not a time for a few elites sitting around a table smoking cigars to just decide that it is going to be Biden. That is at odds with the emotional, psychological, and economic reality of the majority of Americans. I, I agree, but I, I, I keep in come back that we're facing an existential threat here. We've never, in our lifetime, our democracy is on the line. And I'm going to ask it again in, in another way. You continually out there with a the megaphone saying how fucked up things are. Aren't we playing into Trump's hand? I, and I, I understand a lot of the points that you're making, but if, I, if the casual listener at home who's worried about, oh my God, the worst thing in the world would happen is if we lose to Trump. And, and God, no, God, God forbid. And that you as a somebody who's taking a club and saying, everything's wrong, it's got to be better, that it was setting oh. ourselves up for the Republicans to win with that. No. Well, first of all, I, I disagree with the idea that I'm just saying everything is wrong. Let's go back a little bit to 2016. There were two candidates who said to the American people, your pain is valid. Your rage is legitimate. The system is rigged against you. Two candidates said that, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. And it resonated. Yeah, and right. The difference, well, it resonated because it's true. And one of those people wanted to actually do something about it. And poll after poll showed that Bernie was the one who could beat Trump. Hillary came in saying, let's just continue with the success of the last eight years. And millions of people said, what success, lady? I'm drowning here. I'm not denying the good that, that Trump has, that, that, excuse me, that <laughs> Biden has done, but it is an incremental pro approach to change. You and I are in the privileged position of saying, we're going to lose our democracy. We're going to lose our democracy. Millions and millions and millions of people are saying, I'm going to lose my life Yeah, they don't have, they, they don't have the luxury of yeah, playing so, so we have the luxury of making it about only one thing. And there are people out there for whom it is many things. I want to go back a little bit and how you get started in all of this. Uh, you, you sit in a, in a really interesting place. Where did you find your road to the spiritual path? And kind of, uh, you, you've been so high profile over the years. Where, where did this, where did this, how did this happen? Well, I was very much a child of my generation. I grew up at a time where you read Ram Dass and Alan Watts in the morning. Right. And you went to an anti-war protest in the afternoon. So I just never got the memo we were supposed to stop being those people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And, I, and I'm the same way today. You know, I read Ram Dass and Alan Watts in the morning and I, you know, kick ass politically in the afternoon. It is that, that both and that is so necessary now, that integrative, integrative approach to healing applies to society as much as it applies to our personal lives and our bodies. We are, we're, uh, sadly, we're doing this interview with the day after another shooting, a mass shooting in Texas, eight people dead. Here's an issue where 90% of the country wants background checks. 80% want red flag laws, 60% want to ban on assault weapons. Your President Williams said, what do you do right now? 
because you've got to, you've got to, you've got Republicans who are who are held for some sick reason held hostage by the NRA. It defies political gra- gravity. Uh, we know what needs to and should be done. So, so pick up pick up the ball. I think we're at a moment where there's a possibility of an inflection point. You know, even the Republican governor of Tennessee recently talked about. Uh, the idea of national red flag uh, red flag laws, and maybe they're not such a bad idea. We actually are at a point now where people on both the left and the right are recognizing something has gone too far. Yesterday, when the Texas law enforcement spoke about the issue of the the massacre at outside uh, um, in the store, the outlet store, they they don't even bother to talk about it as anything other than a tragedy. They don't talk about it as anything other than thoughts and prayers. We need to keep pushing. We know that during the time when we had uh, the assault weapon ban, I think it was about a 10-year period, there were much fewer assault uh, uh, massacres. The uh, mass shootings, we we are at a time we need to keep pushing, but also I think we need to move beyond the sophomoric um, idea that it's guns or culture. It is obviously both. We need to have a much deeper conversation about what's What's creating the conditions that are so fertile for these explosions of insanity? Well, that's the, that's know, the Republican would... talking points that every time you talk about, we got to get the guns, their answer is mental health. Their answer is mental health. And by the way, the two, two are not mutually exclusive, of course, but that tends to be their, well, their talking the, point. I think, well, but that's my point. We need to move beyond the sophomoric uh idea that it's a choice between the two. It is both and. But if we're going to talk about mental health, we need to talk about the causes of mental health issues. We need to talk about a deeper level of understanding. Why is it that all of a sudden a mental health issue is on the table the way that it is? And that's why I was talking about human despair. And so much public policy increases to um, increases and actually expands human despair. Have, that's why we should be fighting poverty. That's why we should be creating opportunities, economic opportunities, educational opportunities that otherwise people don't have. I was speaking to a woman the other day whose job is very has a very high level job tracking white supremacy and all of these awful malevolent social forces that are out there. I asked her, "Is it getting better or is it getting worse?" She said, "It's getting worse." Of course, it is. So we have to do the we have to do the work, and we have the sociologists, we have the so um, uh, psychologists, we have this forensic experts. We actually have the people who will tell us where do these things start? What is the germination of this kind of societal malfunction? This is not just dysfunction. This is malfunction. They give us the answers, and yet too many times the public policies don't want to apply those answers because those answers run counter to the to the goal of short term profit maximization for their corporate donors. We have the people in this country who know what to do to solve our problems. But what we have is a disconnect between the problem solvers and the policymakers. The policymakers won't uh, won't apply the real solutions, and the pro- and the the real problem solvers don't have the power. That's why I should be president, Donnie, because I'll invite them into the room and I will align them up to, with public policy, beginning with children. Speaking of daughters, how are you doing with fundraising? Well, you know, it's it's more difficult than it should be because of all the media sources who are, you know, chopping wood and carrying water for basically for the DNC and don't want to let me on their programs. I mean, it's absurd. On the other hand, some of them have had me and I'm going to be on more. You know, I'm trug- I'm chugging along. Yeah, you got, I appreciate you. you got it. I mean, look, I, 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 I've said to you my concerns and the concerns you hear from everybody. That doesn't mean I don't want to hear what you have to say and you don't deserve a, 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 a pulpit. I mean, you know, that's just very simple. No, and I appreciate it. 
I appreciate that. And I hope that some of my responses to you have made you go, well, you know, actually, that makes sense because it, that my responses are reasonable. I want to go back to 2020. You're on so You made quite an impression on stage. Or you were off all to the side and you had very little airtime, but yet you had like- Did you well, notice that? Yeah, but you had- but you have well with that. This, there was a reason for it at that time. They they reward the candidate. Yes, you could argue. Well, then that becomes a soft feeling prophecy. But I don't know how else you do it. But they, um, you got like four percent of the tweets. I mean, four times more tweets than with some of the other candidates. You got we've got a lot of attention. And how did it? I'm curious, just on a personal level. You've you've done so much public speaking. You obviously have so much television exposure. How did it feel being up there in that situation? Was it was it surreal? Donnie, you've been around New York. You've been around Washington. These are just people. Yeah, I hear you. You know? So, a, a very, you very know, imperfect people, so yes. The, yeah. yeah, these are just people. Okay, that's number one. Number two, uh, you're right. I got a lot of attention. I was the most Googled person in 49 states yeah. after the second debate. By the way, I just have to put this in because I think it's hilarious. Do you know why I was the most Googled person in 49 rather than 50 states? Because the governor of Montana was up there, and clearly Montana didn't even know who their governor was. <laughs> well, who is that? Which I think is only, the only people Googling right, governor of Montana, right. which I think is hilarious. Okay, so this is what happened. And I know you know this world. You know these people. So three days after I was the most Google candidate in 49 states, the talking points were clearly delivered. The smears against me, the minimization, the mischaracterizations and that's how it works so how did it feel how did it feel to be appreciated it felt cool you know and how did it feel to be deeply smeared and to wake up every morning and see somebody lying about you it's hard but i'll tell you you know you get emotional antibodies from an experience like that and i think i have a tougher skin this time yeah you know we we still in this country have not come to terms with women in power you know kamala harris is, has not been received well by the populace we know what happened with Hillary. What, why can't we figure out a way, both women and men, to as far as we've come, still there's a barrier with a woman in power? Or do you, you just, or you, by the way, you could, you could disagree, you, you could disagree with that hypothesis. I, I, I still think it's no. Unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately, I don't disagree. Um, but I think it goes deeper than most people even realize. When you're looking at something like anti-Semitism, racism, white supremacy, Islamophobia, these are deep, yeah. deep, ancient, almost like viruses of, of consciousness. So is misogyny. The projection onto a woman, uh, where did she get that power? Where is she coming from? What does she want to do with it? Um, misogyny is also internalized among a lot of women. I noticed in my cases, a lot of women who consider themselves such big feminists, apparently it doesn't apply to me. Right, that's, it was the same thing with Hillary. It was the same thing with Hillary. Women, uh -huh. she, there were women that were just so passionately against, like offended by her. And you wanted to kind of shake them and go, hey guys, this is, you know, like she's kind of pushing the, pushing the ball for you, you know? Well, you know, I, I think though, you know, I've always really liked Hillary as a person and I'm old enough to remember who she was when Bill and Hillary were first in the White House, her kind of trajectory, how awful they were to her, how she became harder. So for me, even though she did land in a place where our politics diverged, I always saw the sort of the woman inside there. I think a lot of the, there was a lot of irrational animus against Hillary. I saw it in both men and women. I will give you that. But I think a lot of the um, 
the opposition to her, however, had to do with her neoliberal politics, which people felt was counter to the kind of economic reform we need in this country. But I see it in, in my uh, life. It's, uh, I mean, it, and it's even the classic old, I mean, you think it was the 15th century. She's a crazy witch. Yeah, I mean, you think yeah. it was the 15th century here. Uh, the symbols and the archetypes that, uh, that, that uh, are used, I'm like, wow, this, is, this stuff is deep. Somebody wrote an article about some minor goddess named Eris, E-R-I-S. It was this sociologist who wrote an article about how I'm the, the, the di deeper dynamic is E-R-I-S, Eris. It was pretty interesting. It was like what, what certain people, particularly women, just bring up in people subconsciously. Well, Marion Williamson, who's going to be running for the Democratic nomination for president, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. I've known you over the years. I haven't seen you in a while. You used to do my show on CNBC. We, we go back way, way. We go back way. So I'll, I'll, I'll be watching with, with, with great fervor and interest. And, uh, May I say one thing? Yes. Okay. I do appreciate you having me on. But you said a couple of times, I want to challenge Joe Biden. I just want to point out, I am challenging Joe Biden. And you also said at the end, she wants to run. I am running. Okay. Well, I stand corrected. I appreciate that. Good talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. All my best to you. Good talking to you as well.